welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. I have an exciting project that is coming up on March 27th, Sunday, March 27th at 8 p.m. I'm teaming up with Jared Gaynor, who is the, a pitching coach in the Minnesota Twins organization, and we're putting on a, a free live training, virtual live training. It's all free. Um, we're, Jared's going to be talking about how you can consistently get your pitchers to throw more strikes, and I'm going to be talking about how you can get your hitters to be able to make better swing decisions and hit those strikes harder. So it's going to be a ton of fun. It's free. If you head to patrickjonesbaseball.com slash gainer. So patrickjonesbaseball.com slash gainer, which is G-A-Y-N-O-R. I'll put the link in the show notes. Sign up. It's free. It's going to be March 27th at 8 p.m. Very excited about this because I, I know it's going to be able to, to help a lot of coaches at, at various levels of the game. In today's episode, we have Devin Mezzarocco. Devin is a former Major League catcher. He's currently the volunteer assistant at the University of Pittsburgh. We actually recorded this right after one of their games, so I appreciate Devin for taking the time. You know, after after a game, um, you know, while they were just their very first actually opening day, we did this podcast. So appreciate him doing that. He had a great Major League career as a catcher. Was a former All Star. Played for the Reds. Played for the Mets. First round pick out of high school. He unfortunately had a you know few injuries that that cut his career short. But when he was healthy, I mean he was man he was fun to watch, especially growing up in Cincinnati and watching him play. So this is a fun episode because it, I uh, you know we we've been able to talk to former some former players. A lot of it's been coaches, but Devin's you know currently a coach. But just a few years ago, he was playing in the major league, so he brings a unique perspective to uh, how to get players ready to play a game, what they should be focusing on, how to handle a pitching staff, all these various things that are, are so important. So um, I, I think if you're if you're someone who loves baseball, if you love especially catching position and the art of that pitcher-catcher relationship, this is going to be a great episode, so you're going to want to stick around. This podcast is sponsored by Driveline Plus. Driveline Plus is a growing library of the best information on player development. Members will find how-tos on baseball technology and the latest research findings from Driveline's lab, along with inside access to Driveline trainers to make sure you can effectively coach your team. Plus, members will also get the best discounts you can find on Driveline training gear. Listeners of this podcast can get $25 off their first year of Driveline Plus using coupon code JONES25. That's JONES25 for $25 off your first year of Driveline Plus. Go to drivelinebaseball.com slash plus to learn more. Um, I've you know been following Driveline for several years now. I can't speak highly enough of them. They are constantly pushing forward, being progressive in player development. And I've, I've been on Driveline Plus as well, just even as a member before they even sponsored the show for a few years. And man, there's so much information on there. So when they when they reached out, it was a no-brainer because I knew it, it's going to help out so many coaches out there who, who want to take that extra step and, and really help out their players. So ladies and gentlemen, now here is my episode with Devin Mezzarocco. All right, we now welcome on Devin Mazzarocco. Devin, appreciate you coming on the show, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Pat. 
So actually, I we've actually I've actually seen you in person before. You may not even remember this. We, I'm sure you probably don't. But you were at Sugar and Spice breakfast in Cincinnati. You remember that? You remember ever going there? Uh, I remember the place for sure. Okay, uh, yeah, that's where I saw. I live in that neighborhood, the, so that cool. was and it was like seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the specific time that I met you, but yeah, I definitely remember. <laughs> the, I remember the place. Yeah, no, no, I, I do remember that, but again I, I remember just watching you and you used to drop just absolute bombs with the reds and um you know just really enjoyed watching the intensity that you played with and how you carried yourself and catching is such a unique position where you're you're kind of the you're the leader out on the field and so I actually I, I talked to several buddies of mine who are catchers and at various places and they had some questions for you and what, I'm going to start off just right away is how do you go about uh, having to work with a pitcher who who you know and maybe he's been outspoken about it too that he he would rather throw to somebody else. Uh, I would say for the most part that does not happen a whole lot, right? Yeah. Guys are certainly aware of being a good teammate and uh, not kind of throwing somebody under the bus. But you know, my job as a catcher is to serve them and. I always made a strong effort to be there for my pitcher and whether that was being prepared or knowing the way that he wanted to go about his business, knowing how he pitched, like I, I had to be there to serve them. So I, I think that maybe the only time that I was in that situation was probably like as a very young player, as a rookie, right. Where you come up and you're a little green and it's kind of like, well, you know, how do things happen here in the big leagues and you got some older veteran guys that have been doing it for a long time. And, you know, at the end of the day, like these guys, uh, their careers on the line out there on the mound. So they, they need someone that they can trust back there. But uh, I think beyond maybe my first September call up, whenever I was a very young player getting called up, I, I don't really think that happened a whole lot, but uh, you know, that, that first initial experience being up there is like, okay, I, I, I realize now, like, I got to be ready. I got to know my stuff. These guys careers on the line. Uh, I got to be ready to call a game. I got to be good defensively, but at the end of the day, you're there to serve them. And I always felt like I looked at it from that kind of an unselfish uh, situation where I, I, I need to do what I can to help them make their career better. How big of a like role would you be would you be playing though when it comes to game planning and with that pitcher? Like, how often are you the one dictating what pitches are being thrown versus him? Oh, definitely the catcher, right? Like, uh, so let me just take you through kind of like what a typical series would be like. So, say we go into St. Louis and we have uh, three pitchers starting in consecutive days, so. My job is I want to look at it from a general perspective, right? Uh, we got a right-hander on the mound. I want to look at what the Cardinals hitters all do against right-handed pitching. And, okay, so this guy, you can beat him inside. You, you know, he chases the slider or he chases the fastball up late, things like that. So, and then from there, I would go to the certain day and I would look at the history that the starter has against the Cardinals the history that he has against the guys up and down the lineup and just kind of pair those two things together. Okay. 
you know, he seems to see your curveball a little bit better than he does some other guys. So maybe we'll shy away from that or maybe use it more behind in the count. Uh, that that just depends. But then you would go into, if it's the first game of the series, you would go into a meeting with the relievers. And as my career progressed, uh, I always felt comfortable and I enjoyed kind of running the meeting, right? Where the pitching coach is there as a support, but I'm the guy that's saying, okay, this is how we're going to pitch Yachty. This is how we're going to pitch Matt Carpenter. This is how we're going to do this. And, and that kind of developed some conviction in the, uh, I never did it with notes, right? I, I always wanted to know all this on the top of my head because, you know, in the game, you know, there isn't like you can just pull out a piece of paper and bring out some notes. So I felt like if I did the information and I knew it off the top of my head, uh, that would give me the best opportunity to go out there and call a good game. And that also showed the pitcher, well, geez, you know, this guy, he doesn't even need, he's not reading off a sheet of paper, right? Like he knows this, he knows this stuff. He knows exactly how we want to attack these guys. So uh, after that meeting, the reliever meeting, then you would have a meeting one-on-one with the starter. And that's kind of where you would say, this guy, you know, he's really seen that curveball good. We're going to be careful with it. Um, you know, you pitched him great up and in. Let's stick there and kind of see if he can make the adjustment. Um, but it would be more individualized based on their stuff. So, you know, you kind of have a all-around general view, and then you have the specifics of that guy that you're facing on that given day. How often were you, when you're facing a team or you're going into that meeting, where like, hey, it does it ever happen where it's like, hey, like Pujols, he, he cannot beat us like this series. Like we're going to pitch around him. Like how does that go when you're dealing with a superstar type hitter? Well, I think how you present the information to the guys is important too, right? Like do we want to go in there and present, uh, well, we're just not going to be able to pitch to this guy. He's too good. No, I mean, heck, we, we, we believe in ourselves. We believe we can get that guy out. So uh, maybe you tell – how you think you're going to pitch them and then say, you know, but Hey, this guy has been swinging the bat really well. The guy behind him has it. Let's, let's just be a little bit more careful with him as we go throughout the game. But, you know, these are big leaguers, right? I, I think that they feel confident that they can get anybody out at any given time, no matter how good the guy is. Uh, so I don't know that I would go into it with quite that much of a look at them as like a negative thing, I want to be positive. Like we're going to have success. We're going to do well. So I thought, I think that's important. What about during, like during an inning, you go out there and you talk to the pitcher. I mean, there's, there's people who are going to be watching, listening to this, who, you know, are developing catchers. Like, what are you, what are you talking to the pitcher about? Like, what are you emphasizing? That's based on the specific guy, right? Like uh, I catch, I would be catching those guys so much that I know exactly kind of what their tendencies are and where they can sometimes get on track off track that like, you know, I got to give them the tip to get back on track. But a lot of times you're just kind of going out there to slow the game down, right? Like things are moving quickly. Maybe you have a young player on the mound and his heart's really beating out there. So, you know, go out there, be relaxed, tell them, Hey man, this is just baseball. This is not a, the mound's still 60 feet. Just, you know, you'll be fine. Just play your game. You're here for a reason. Uh, that's what you would say to like a young, a young pitcher that's out there for the first time, or maybe somebody making their debut, things like that. You're coaching now at the college level at Pittsburgh, which I think is 
awesome. I mean, I really do. I mean, those kids are, are so lucky. What, like, what do you see from when you're working with those kids? And I'm sure, you know, if you're watching high school kids from a development process, like what should, what should coaches really be working on with their catchers at the amateur level? So actually, right. Like to me, there's the three major things that you have to do. Well, you got to be able to throw, you got to be able to block well, and then you got to be able to receive, right. Those are the big things. And we probably spend uh, the majority time on those things. And, you know, the other stuff, we kind of check the box and, and move on. But uh, receiving nowadays is obviously a very big point of emphasis. And, you know, the way that you can measure it and just creating extra strikes and keeping strike strikes is very, very important. And so we do a lot of machine work, right, just uh, trying to get the mechanics down. Uh, Throwing-wise, we have what – what I call like a throwing progression uh, where, you know, we kind of stand up first and get our exchanges and get our hands moving quickly. Then, you know, from there, we kind of start to incorporate the lower half and then we finally move our feet a little bit and then we move our feet down in the crowd. So we, it's trying to create the shortest hand path possible whenever you, are really starting to work with those guys throwing wise, uh, just to make it a little bit quicker and be accurate. Blocking wise, you know, blocking is pretty simple for me when it comes to teaching, you know, it's about effort and it's about reps, right? So um, our guys, man, we block off the machine at least once or twice a week and I have the machine set up. So, you know, I kind of go up and down with it so that they can't see if it's gonna be in the air on the ground get a lot of live reads that way, make it more game-like. You know, I think any time for us, I want to get the guys to compete. You know, if we do a blocking thing, I want to make it a competition between three. If we do a receiving thing, you know, I'll be the judge. And if one guy doesn't move his body correctly or move his glove correctly, you know, they'll be out. And I, I want to make it a competition. I want to make it fun. You know, I think just kind of – sitting there and getting reps and it becomes a bit, you know, repeated and they just don't enjoy it as much. So I, I like to get them to compete and uh, it, it, it seems to work out well. What, what do you have on the one knee down? Yeah, I think one knee down is great. I don't think that is for everybody, right? I don't think I want to make guys the best versions of themselves, right? And if I don't necessarily have, guys come in here and I teach them to be a one knee down guy, you can be a good receiver, certainly with, uh, you know, both your knees up and you can be a really good receiver with the knee down. I think it just depends on the individual. We have some older transfer guys that, you know, they've had success and they've done it here in the past. Uh, and they kind of came in as knee up guys. And I wasn't um, – really felt like I needed to teach them the knee down. They were successful. They were good. Uh, they were capable receivers. So we just kind of continued with that. But if somebody came in here and they were really good at one knee down and they got extra strikes and they could block and they could throw, great. You know, that would be awesome. Uh, I think I'm open-minded to whatever is best for that individual player. When you're – I mean, I don't know if you're like – how, how much you're helping with the recruiting process, but when you're looking at – um, high school catchers like what specific is there anything specific that you're looking at I know there's so many catchers out there 
I don't necessarily do a ton of recruiting now. They'll show me some video and look at some guys, especially the catchers. Uh, you know, I feel like if I'm any good as a coach, I should be able to teach the fundamentals as a catcher. So what, you know, I would like to have a guy that could potentially be offensive. I, you know, obviously need a guy with some arm strength and that. And, you know, he's got to be have the right amount of hip flexibility. Right. You, you, you can't be stiff back there. You got to be able to move around. So those are really the, the only things that I, I, I truly like. Certainly you get guys that are at different levels uh, as far as the receiving in that stuff. And I don't necessarily care about that much for the guys that we recruit. You know, I just feel like, man, if I'm any type of a capable teacher, like we'll, we'll get that part figured out, that part of the game figured out. And certainly reps comes into play. But uh, to me, I want to have somebody that can impact the game offensively as well and, you know, has some arm strength and is, is mostly flexible in their hips. Those are the three things. So how, I mean, okay, my follow-up question is talk about flexibility in the hips. Like how did you, how do you get yourself ready to maybe catch a, a double header or just like you're, you're catching every single day? Like what's your regular routine? Yeah. So we have a routine as far as to maintain their hip flexibility uh, where we do, we do some ladder drills. We do some uh, hurdles. We do some other kind of, um, just hip mobility drills in general. And we kind of do those every day. They knock them out on their own, but that's kind of part of the program that we've instilled in those guys. And then for yourself during the season, I mean, you're catching, geez, a lot. I mean, it's a lot of wear and tear. Like how, how much are you lifting during the actual season as a catcher, as a player? Is it the same yeah. as everybody else? Same as everybody else, yeah. yeah. I, I, the way that I kind of did it as I progressed is – I like to do a little bit each day and kind of not go crazy uh, on one given day. So I would maybe do one upper body thing and one lower body thing each day. And I, it would only take me like 10 minutes to knock it out. That, that was really, uh, I, I enjoyed doing it that way as opposed to, you know, you lift on Tuesday and Sunday and kind of go from there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I ended up doing one thing each day. And, and that made it easier for me to get in the weight room and maybe less, you know, you don't stress your body out as much. You don't get tired whenever you're lifting. It's just kind of a maintenance deal. When it comes to, to throwing two, two bases, I know, I mean, I see a lot of kids with the pop time at showcases where they're halfway already standing up before they even throw it down to second. But I mean, there for for players out there, like how do you go about helping them with their throwing? Um, you know, when a runner's stealing, like is there anything specific, or is it just kind of just trying to be as quick as possible? Yeah, whenever we look at uh, the catchers as far as recruiting, like the pop times are so non-realistic that like it doesn't even matter. Like who cares? Uh, it, it's just it's somewhat worthless whenever you see a, a, a high school kid's pop time just because. Uh, they got a bad feet. You know, it doesn't really matter. I look for arm strength. I got to see a little bit of arm strength. I got to see the ball get there in the line. But we have a, a throwing progression where the first thing we do is all have a ball. We'll put a ball in the guy's hand and I'll just flip it. And he's got to make his exchange as my ball is coming in to him. Right. So that kind of really speeds it up and makes it a, a 
short version because you're kind of forcing them to get that other hand back out there so that they catch the ball. So that kind of makes things from one point to another. Then from there, we'll go stand up and just kind of get some get some exchanges the same way, but not with the ball just normally. And, and then I'll have those guys kind of start incorporating their lower half where they're feeling a weight exchange from the front to the back. And from there, we do stand-up footwork all the way down. And we throw each of these, right? So, like, we throw each of these to second base, and it just really fine-tunes your mechanics because uh, the more repetitions that you can get from a throwing standpoint, just the more – it's going to be the same all the time, right? Like the, the more that you can get. So we throw a lot at like 60, 70%, but with those guys up in front of second base so that we're still getting reps and we're still being accurate, but we're not wearing out their arms at the same point either to go the whole way back and get 15 throws full effort. You know, you just, you don't have that much time to get better through 15 throws. Right. So we, when we throw like that on a given day, you know, I'm having those guys throw 40, 50, 60 throws just to be more accurate, be more in line with second base. So you talk about the number of throws there. I got coaches on here, like high school coaches, for example, and a few even college coaches. So what's the difference when it comes to like training schedules from high school to college to pro? Like, are they throwing, like how often are they throwing? How often are you, you working them out doing drills? Is it a, a daily thing or is it just yeah. a couple times a week? I think you got to get a really good feel for where your guys are at. You know, I think that we have the opportunity to be with our guys at each and every day where uh, we know what they're throwing. We're, giving them, hey, you know, this is how far you should go today, maybe go a little bit longer tomorrow, really stretch it out the next day, and then we'll throw to bases the following day. You know, we, we, we can kind of dictate their program and make sure that they're – we had a guy that had a, a little bit of a sore arm here in the preseason, and, you know, we, we didn't shut him down completely, but we just backed him off. You know, hey, man, let's, let's throw for 90 feet for the next three days. We won't have you air it out to the bases and uh, we'll go from there. But you really got to talk to the guys. You really, whenever you're a younger uh, player, like it's good for those kids to long toss, but you certainly don't want to overdo anything. The biggest thing for me is just get these guys on the field, you know, let them play, let them get the reps, but they can't do that if they got a sore arm and you got to manage that and build them up and take things slow and, uh, just, you know, really speak to the guys. What's, what's one thing that as you, ref, maybe you, if you were to reflect back on your career that, um, you know, you wish that not, you can necessarily change, but if you could go back, you would do it differently when it comes to like your playing career. No, you know, I think things, a lot of things happen for reasons, right? Like I, I'm thankful. Certainly I wish I would have stayed healthier and being able to play longer. Uh, I don't know that there's a specific reason why that happened. You know, um, I was always very conscientious of getting my um, work in in the off season and lifting and being strong and doing my physical therapy and things of that nature. And, you know, I still ended up getting hurt quite a few times there, which was frustrating, but uh, I don't know that there was a whole lot that I would change. It just, 
is kind of the way that it worked out. So yeah, I, I don't know that I have a great answer for that question. Just well, I guess maybe I, I, may, I guess what I was just asking is, is if you could go back, not necessarily from a health perspective, but maybe like how you trained or your preparation, when it, in a, your, your approach at the plate or how you handled pitchers or just anything in regards to like actual your playing career. I think I would have been, uh, it would have been somewhat advantageous for me to kind of meet with someone who's really good at the biomechanics of the body and not necessarily from a standpoint of me like my swing or the way that I throw, but just as far as the way that your body moved and okay, so you have this, you know, your hips are a little bit tight here. We, we need to do this, this, and this. Uh, and not that I didn't have some of that stuff with the reds, but you know, just maybe been a little more analytical or scientific about it to the point where this is exactly what I'm seeing. Um, you know, maybe this could help you avoid something in, in the nature of an injury or whatever. What was your approach at the plate? So this is probably not the best approach for like a young player, but uh, <laughs> I was, I, I did not have any power to the opposite field. Right. And uh, I was pretty much all pull power because I had pretty good, like shift in my swing, my, my weight transferred forward and I wasn't able to really drive the ball to right field. But anyway, I kind of gave away a ball on the outside part of the plate and a ball on the inside part of the plate. And I was trying to drive the ball in the left center field gap, whatever, uh, anything that didn't go into those two zones, right? Like if they come right in and they make a pitch on the black inside, well, you know, tip your cap, they make a pitch on the black away, tip your cap, but anything to the middle part of the plate kind of, uh, you know, you got, there's five balls in the middle there, you know, they got a pretty good area that I felt like even if it was just one ball off the outer, off the corner on the outside part of the play, I could still pull that into the poolside gap. So that was my, that was my approach. Um, I certainly was a lot better at hitting fastballs than off speed pitches. And if you could throw off speed pitches to that outer part of the plate, you know, I was mostly an out uh, and that approach is not the best to become the best average hitter. You know, that approach doesn't lend itself necessarily to being a good guy to spray the ball all over the field and hit different pitches, but I had to be me, right? Like I had to be myself. Like I, I, that was what I was good at. And I kind of went with that approach and it leads to a lot of rollover ground balls. Um, but that was really the only way that I felt that I could be successful is be myself and let's, let's try to drive the ball to poolside. So was there ever a point where you're like, man, if I could just, did you ever try to force like driving the ball to opposite field? Oh yeah. A lot of times. Right. Like, uh, I mean, I spent the first two or three years of my big league career trying to figure out how to hit the ball to the other side of the field. And it just, my, my swing and the way that my body moves, it didn't necessarily allow me to be successful at that. Like I just had very little power that way. So I was a guy that was up on the plate too. You know, I was up on the plate. So um, that pitch was very easily pullable if it was on the outer part of the portion or outer part of the plate. So yeah, I, I certainly tried it, but you got to be yourself. I don't feel like you, 
you got to be good at what you're good at. You know, I think that that's very important for a young player to understand. And hopefully not everybody goes out there and tries to pull a bunch of balls. But I had a lot of repetitions to learn that I wasn't good at that. I, I was not successful. You know, it took me um, three years in the big leagues and probably five years in the minor leagues. And it was just very clear that the way I could be successful is pull the ball with authority. Uh, and, and so, yeah, by that time, I feel finally figured out. I think when, if you're talking to young players and you're talking to my kids in college here, it's a little bit different, right? Like uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily go around teaching that approach, but until they prove that, hey, this is who I am, you know, um, and that, that's a lot of reps to kind of figure that out. But that was me. What about your uh, two-strike approach? Would it change at all with two strikes? Yeah, definitely. It would change with two strikes. So two strikes, I would try to hit a line drive to right field. I always contacted the ball very far out in front. Um, again, it led to a lot of rollover ground balls and things of that nature. So I always would try to just hit a line drive to right field. That allowed me to kind of back the ball up a little bit. And, uh, you know, very rarely did it ever go to right field. But it would just give me a chance to stay on that slider a little bit better. You know, the one that got to the outer part of the plate, give me a chance to stay on that fastball. So. I was just thinking line drive to right field. And I had to have a two-strike approach because if I didn't, I would have swung and missed it. Um, probably hundreds of more sliders with two strikes. Like I really had to make an effort to stay back. You say, I mean, that's the thing about two-strike approaches. You you hear so many, I mean, you hear some similar answers where it's like you choke up, you expand every, you know, just trying to put the ball in play. And then it's so interesting to hear your approaches at the plate in general, where you are more so just a pool guy based upon, you know, your individual self. I mean, how, when you work with the, when you work with the guys right now in college, like how do you go about helping them find their approach when, you know, you didn't even really figure out who you were until you were older than them. Yeah. You just talk to them, you know, you talk to them, you figure out, and, and you can see, you know, based on a guy's swing or, the way that he moves, what he's going to be good at. Uh, so you just talk to him. You get a feel for what they're good at. I think a lot of the times down here, we kind of teach more uh, general stuff, you know, where I think a lot of young hitters and young players, they aren't kind of anticipatory at the plate, right? Like they don't visualize that ball coming in. They don't um, – they are just kind of reacting, you know, they're, they're, they, the guy throws the ball, then they make the reaction, right? They don't have that, whether it's a, a mental approach or they just haven't done it enough where I want my guys to be anticipatory. I want them to be thinking this is going to be a fastball down the middle and I'm not going to miss it. You know, I think that that's a, an important thing for young hitters to understand. Uh, but, yeah, certainly I think when you're teaching hitting, so much of it is individualized where this guy has got a really good swing to the uh, opposite field. He's got a really, you know, this guy needs to stay more up the middle. And you do have some guys down here that have some poolside power. And, you know, it's good to get to that every now and then. But I think more general thoughts and kind of let those guys figure it out for themselves rather than pigeonhole into one single approach is, is an important thing for a, for a coach at this level. What's the biggest difference you see between college and maybe just professional, even just in the minor leagues? Oh, just the uh, inconsistencies, you know, guys, uh, pitchers are not 
they miss their spots more. Uh, position players will miss good pitches to hit a whole lot more down at this level. Um, just a lot more inconsistent. There's there's a lot of talent, and there's guys that uh, – these guys are very good. Like, it's not like – you know, you go to a ball game in the ACC on a weekend and it's just completely different than what you would see in a, a ball ballpark. Like these guys are good players, uh, but there's just a little bit more inconsistency from them. One of the, I was talking to a coach, um, youth coach, and we were talking about how the inconsistencies with the umpire at, at some of the lower levels like kind of causes them to change their approach at the plate with two strikes and they, they, they feel the need to expand because they'll get called, you know, strikes two or three inches off the plate. And I'm wondering at the college level, I haven't seen a college game in a while, but I'm sure that the umpiring at the MLB level is better than at the college level. So with two strikes at the college level, is there a certain philosophy that you would more so recommend than if those players were in the big leagues because of the umpire? No, not at all. I think that, uh, I tell all our guys to forget about the umpire. The umpire is just someone back there calling balls and strikes. And if they call a, a, a pitch that you thought was a ball, a strike, who cares? Let's, let's get them the next pitch. And if they punch you out, you know, who cares? Let's get them the next at bat. Now the, the umpire is completely meaningless to me uh, whenever I was playing. Uh, like I'll call whatever he wants to call, but it isn't going to affect my mentality. It isn't going to affect my thoughts. Right. Like I think when you, change things based on that guy back there, you can only get into trouble, right? Like forget about the umpire. He's, he's not even part of the game, right? Whatever it is, it is. And we'll go to the next pitch. Is that hard for players to grasp? Cause I'm sure. Oh, they, you know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's emotional, right? Like uh, players are by no means emotionless. Like that, that's a thing. Uh, the way that I looked at it is, you know, sometimes in certain businesses, right, they just chalk thing. some people, you're going to lose money at times, right? Whether somebody steals from you or whether you make a mistake or somebody counts, miscounts the bill, like that stuff happens. That's the way that I thought of umpires. They, they, things happen and they got me that time, right? Uh, and that's going to happen. You have to expect that. Guys are going to miss calls, but to let it affect you, I just, you know, it, it's not beneficial in any way. Just go about your business the way that you had wanted to, the way that you expect to, and, you know, it'll happen, but just chalk it up and move on. What if, what if you're catching, though, and the umpire is like, your, your pitcher's throwing strikes and he's not calling it? How do you go about handling that? I mean, I've been thrown out before, right? Like, I, I got thrown <laughs> out before. So, yeah, that those things happen. Uh, but you kind of, just, hey, man, you know, where'd you have that? You know, uh, can you can you get another look at that? I thought that was a good pitch. But it all depends on the personality umpire too, right? Like some guys, you ask them that and they'll become defensive and, you know, they, it, it just don't work out. So you, you really got to get a feel. Is this guy someone that can take a little bit of criticism and will talk to me and work with you? And if he is, great. You don't want to go too much because – Certainly, you know, those guys are good at their job and they're getting paid to do this, but um, it's, it's okay to ask. But if you get somebody that gets real defensive, I've never felt like that situation, it ain't even worth talking to, right? Just catch the ball, throw it back and 
let the coach or uh, someone else take care of the umpiring. Uh, it just never very beneficial. It, it can take the pitcher out of his game. Uh, so again, try not to worry about umpires. Okay. Definitely noted. How, how did you become such a good hitter when, when so much of your time was, was spent probably, I'm sure as a catcher focusing on catching, right? I mean, I noticed that a lot of, a lot of catchers out there, they don't get the same amount of reps a lot of times at practices just because they're always catching bullpens and they're not able to hit. Yeah. I mean, you have to find time, you know, the, I would say that there was times throughout my career where I was probably too unselfish in that regard, where I wouldn't go hit because I was focusing on my pitchers. Um, you got to find time. You got to be a little bit selfish in that regard. You know, the, obviously it's an offense. It has to be an offensive position. That's part of the game. You got to be successful back there. You know, you got to take care of your career. So you got to find the time, whether you have to show up earlier uh, spend more time at the field, spend more time. You know, if you're a younger player, get there before everybody else gets there and get your time in. But uh, you, you you have to be selfish sometimes. And that that would be a good one where you make sure you get your hitting in. Uh, language barrier in, in professional baseball when you're dealing with, with pitchers who, who may not speak any English. How do you go about uh, dealing with that? Yeah, that was something I always took a lot of. I always made an effort to uh, be a good teammate to the Latin players, right? Like this is, they, they come over here and uh, some, some guys know English, some guys don't, but to make an effort to converse with them in English, you know, and kind of slow down and go a little bit slower or, you know, try to pick up some, Spanish words from those guys, try to pick up some phrases, uh, ask them what they, you know, want you to say when you come out to the mound and say, you know, the second sign, figure all that out, you know, really work with them in that regard. I think it's important because, you know, that those guys are such a big part of the game at the uh, professional level that you, you got to speak their language if, if they're not comfortable speaking yours. Uh, it's very important to make an effort if you're a catcher to connect with those guys. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. If, if they feel like you're making some kind of effort, even if the, it's not perfect, I mean, they, they definitely they will respect that. I noticed that too, just the short time I was in, in professional baseball. Um, you know, one of the, one of the questions that I, someone actually I wanted to know and to send in is, you know, when you're, you know, you're in, in a game and maybe you're, you're sharing playing time with another catcher, um, you know, how do you go, do you help him when he's, you know, if you're watching from the bench and vice versa during the game, or is it mainly just, you guys are just kind of just focused in on, on what's going on. If you're the one catching and the other one, just watching. Uh, it depends on the guy, you know, like, uh, there's times whenever I was up there and had some experience and a younger guy comes in, um, uh, and they would ask more questions on the bench or, you know, there was times where it's an older guy and I'm a younger guy and uh, you don't, right? Like, it just depends. It depends on the individuals. Uh, but it, at the end of the day, right, even at the professional level, this is still supposed to be a team game. You're supposed to win. And whatever I could do to help out another catcher or another teammate, uh, even if it would potentially cost me playing time, like, I, I always considered myself a very team first guy. And uh, I, I really 
would go out of my way to make sure, you know, those guys knew what we wanted to do. They knew the pitchers and, you know, it's a team game. Last question. Um, and I really appreciate all the time that you've given what, what advice would you give to, to coaches at the high school and youth level, and maybe not even necessarily for just developing catchers, but just, just developing and working with baseball, baseball players in general. I think the two things for me and my dad was a coach at the, uh, the youth level, you make it fun and you make it competitive, right? Like the competitive situation, I feel like you get the best out of guys. You get real reps, right? Uh, I think a lot of times you can hit a guy's a bunch of ground balls or uh, as far as catching, right? Like make them throw a bunch. But if you don't make it competitive, how impactful are those reps? Like that that's important. I really want to make things competitive in a date that, you know, you're making everybody competitive so that they like fight each other. But, you know, this is a, I just want to, develop quality reps the, the best that I can and the way that I've felt for the younger groups and even at the college level is make it competitive, man. Those guys will ratchet it up a notch. They'll focus a little more. It'll be more of a, a game style rep. Awesome. Devin, appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a lot of fun and uh, we'll look forward to following Pittsburgh and uh, this weekend and the rest of the year. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for listening to this episode with Devin Mezzarocco. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with someone. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see everybody next week.